Hey, welcome back to another episode of Seven Figure Music School. In this episode, we are joined once again by a friend, Jeff Homer. Uh, For those who are familiar with the podcast, Jeff was on episode 45. And in that episode, we explored Jeff's very unique position in kind of the music school industry, where he is someone who has gone about um, collecting schools, you might say. Um, He's bought a number of music schools over the years. And Jeff, I think you'd said prior to us hitting record, I think you're up to 41 schools right now. Isn't that right? Yeah, it is right. So Jeff obviously has a really unique perspective on music school ownership. And it's why when I first met him, I was really fascinated to to have a conversation with him. And that episode was a really popular episode. I felt like I learned a lot. Nate said he felt like he learned a lot. Um, And we wanted to have Jeff back because Jeff, and I'm just going to jump into it right here. You know, I'm curious, how do you manage all those schools? That's not something we really dove into too much on episode 45. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, how do you manage all those schools? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because it's a really important secret to our success. We have 34 extremely talented and dedicated general managers. So we have a a dedicated manager for each location. Um, Some of them cover two or three, you know, so a small number of schools. And, um, you know, these folks are really the heart of our operation. They're They're the face of each local community. They're the person that the parent or the teacher is used to going to as kind of the ultimate answer to the problem. Um, Almost never does something, you know, come all the way to me uh, with a teacher or parent complaint. And so these folks are are really, um, they're doing it. They're they're running these schools on our behalf and they're really important to our operation. So you have more general managers than most schools have teachers. So that's a really (laughs) interesting uh, staff and, and team size there. So Maybe just to get started, I don't think the term general manager is one that I've heard all that much in our industry, if at all. So how would you define a general manager? What's that mean to you, Jeff? Sure. So the general manager, what we say is they're responsible for everybody that walks through the door. So if you are a student, a parent, a prospect, or a teacher, or a teacher candidate, um, the general manager is making responsible for making sure that you have a great experience mm-hmm. at our school. Um, and so that's, you know, that's not a list of duties because, you know, anything could happen and there may be things that need to be taken care of. And the nature of our business is we're in 13 states and I live in Denver and I'm on a plane a lot, but, you know, chances are when something goes really wrong, I'm not going to be there. And so, you know, somebody throws a rock through the window and we need to get it fixed, you know, that's on the general manager. Uh, you know, somebody's, you know, there's some other kind of problem like that. The general manager's job is to make sure that we can serve the people that walk through our door. Um, Jeff, that rock is not a person who walks through the door, but it's still their responsibility. Um, what's interesting to me is that you, right out of the gate, stated, and this is really important for our listeners to understand, parents, students, and teachers, they're responsible for the the trifecta there, right? Um, where and but but interestingly, you said they don't have a list. There's no specific list of of you know where their responsibilities stop, where they start. I'm curious when you've looked at schools and you've looked at probably more than anyone I've ever met um, and gotten to know a lot of schools. 
Um, what generally, how do other schools seem to manage this position? Do they generally have like some version of a general manager or do they have a collection of humans that sort of do it all? Or can you just help us or help our listeners frame how if they have three or four people, how they would sort of combine those into one? Or what's been your experience as you've observed other schools covering this role? Sure. So the majority of the folks that are serving in these roles were at the business prior to the moment that we acquired it. They may not have had the title of general manager. They may or may not have been doing the job as I'm describing it. But the, I think, Nate, to answer your question, they're, they're basically taking on some portion of what is previously, you know, the owner's responsibility, right? So generally, you know, if you're, if you're a local school owner, and something goes really wrong, you're driving over to the shop and you're taking over and you're going to be, you know, command and control, right. crisis management, you know, during that period of time. And unfortunately, I'm a plane ride away. And so we've had to come up with something else to make that work. And so, you know, 90% of the job is just day-to-day front desk type stuff, ordinary course, you know, management. But we're trying to position our general managers to be, to think like owners, you know, to have an owner mindset and an entrepreneurial approach to, you know, how do I serve this community the best I can? You know, what, 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 what more can we be doing? And, you know, we can talk about how to, I'm sure we will talk more about how to cultivate that mindset and how to incentivize and reward it and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you know, we're trying to take someone who is a very proficient administrator Mm. and get them to think like an owner because they are the top, they're the highest ranking person in the area that that's available for ensemble when something goes wrong. And so we ask them, you know, to be responsible. for. Yeah. I I think I definitely want to circle back and ask how you actually cultivate that and transition someone from a highly efficient and just awesome admin into envisioning themselves differently because we have, you know, Daniel and I have this type of conversation all the time with owners who are wondering whether that admin person, there's new opportunity there that the owner doesn't see. So, Yeah. And I think that goes to, I think one of the objectives I have for this particular episode, I'm thinking of a number of school owners I know right now where there's this, there's this desire for the school to run a little more autonomously, but they don't quite yet have the vision of how, that would work. And to me, the answer perhaps is in this general manager role. But oftentimes, the reason people can't move forward on something is because they don't have a specific vision. They've got a general one, but there's no detail filled in there. And as we all know, the devil's in the details. So Jeff, I think I have like a few really short, specific questions just to even fill out Okay. And and follow up to fill out the the question I'd asked a few minutes ago. So just a very simple one: How many hours per week does a GM typically work on average in any one of these schools? They're they're supposed to be full time, you know, salaried employees. They're supposed to be working, you know, forty ish hours. And you know, I think they're comfortable with the idea that that forty might flex a little bit up and down depending on is it recital yeah. week, you know, is it is it the dog days of August? Are we not busy? You know, so, but it's, it's intended to be a full-time position. We do have a handful of folks who, you know, who have this title and who work maybe more like 25 hours a week. I think it can work depending on the size of the school. Um, 
but but yeah, it's, it's it's a full-time role, and you know we're not asking people to work eighty hours a week by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you know, from time from week to week, it, it varies based on need and not. Can you just clarify size there, real quick, for us, Jeff? When you say twenty-five, depending on the size, can you just give us concrete numbers of enrollments or roughly? Um, it's interesting. I mean, like it's actually kind of it kind of depends on what the the parent expectations. This varies regionally. So one of the fun things about our business is we serve all kinds of different markets. And you know, one of the one of the things that is is kind of interesting is in a place like California, where labor cost is generally high, there's a different expectation around how much front desk staff you're going to have. I mean, it's very normal in a school in a music school in California to walk in. You know, particularly you know Bay Area, LA, that kind of thing. To walk in and and you know there's just an empty mm. waiting room. You sit down, your teacher comes down and grabs you, and you walk in. And you know somewhere behind the scenes, there's an admin doing work. Uh, you know maybe emailing you, maybe calling you, but there's not a front desk per se. There's no effort to kind of staff that around the clock like there is in other places. So it's, it it varies by expectation in terms wow. of you know what what you know what will be available. Um, but um, yeah, so it's not it's not a school size driven factor. It's more you know what's the role, what's needed. Yeah. But even those folks that are part time, they have that mindset of hey, if something's really wrong, it's on me whether I'm scheduled to work today or not work today based on my my you know whatever we, we mm. agreed to. Okay. That's I think another specific question I would ask you then would be if you could even tell us on average what are the three things that occupy the time of these general managers the most each week is it customer service is it meeting with teachers is it admin and billing i'm curious what those top 3 jobs are for them i think customer service is the is the core of the role right and at some of our larger schools our general managers may not even be the ones directly responsible for talking to clients right they may have they may have two or three admins under them who are the ones on the front lines with clients, but ultimately they view customer service as being the core of what they do, right? We are a client service, student service business. Um, so it, yeah, I think customer services is, is key to that. And then just sort of looking around and thinking, you know, what needs to happen, you know, this time of year, am I planning for my recital? Am I booking a venue? Am I running a promo? Am I, um, you know, trying to engage, you know, other teachers, you know, do I need to be doing more outreach in my community to make sure that we are connecting with teachers if we're in an area where that's hard to hire for? It's, you know, again, it's a very entrepreneurial, it's a very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, kind of, kind of culture. I think something, an easier way to frame this actually might be to explain what Ensemble provides for our schools from a, we have a shared services, you know, group of folks. And basically, the general manager's job is everything other than that, um, you know, that's responsible. So so our our shared services team is, is 17 people that supports our schools, and they are organized into a couple of different verticals. So they are providing digital marketing and community marketing support for schools. So helping them turn out great Google, you know, Google and SEO and SEM uh, campaigns, newsletters, social media, that kind of stuff. Um, we have a group of folks that is responsible for teacher recruitment and teacher professional development. So making sure that we are recruiting teachers, especially for GMs who are not professional musicians, making sure that we're, you know, quality controlling appropriately. We're hiring folks that are going to be great with students and then engaging those people as they come on, whether they're 
experienced teachers that we want to get integrated into our national community of teachers or new teachers that need mentorship and need to be paired with, you know, they need to go through an intro to private teaching, you know, course that we offer and then mm. be paired with a local mentor to make sure that they are onboarded successfully. Um, and then, you know, we have kind of the finance, HR, payroll, you know, compliance functions that you would expect, um, you know, of a larger company. But so, so basically, other than those items, which are the, sort of the suite of services that we're providing for our schools, the general manager is is where the buck stops for performance. And so, you know, you know, it's 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 easier to define, you know, by opposites than than by kind of listing everything that's in it. Okay, let me just sit here for one sec. If that's cool, Jeff. I love how you frame it. You're like, here's what the GM's not responsible for, because that's coming from ensemble. The shared services. And so just to restate it for our listeners, essentially marketing, teacher recruitment, hiring, onboarding with some training and continued support. And then finally, the finance compliance part. I can tell you right out of the gate for almost every one of our listeners and the schools that Daniel and I work with, I'm sure they'd be so psyched to not have the finance compliance part. Dude, I'd be so psyched because we literally just got audited by the Department of Labor. So like that's a meeting coming up. Man, it'd be amazing not to have that. Okay, so one follow-up question I have is, like, we just came from our all-faculty meeting this morning, as before pre-recording this, and I link so closely at BMF the quality of teacher and the ongoing training and support to the customer service and to retention. And I'm curious how you guys... Um, navigate that? Because I know, I know, you know, I know some of your team that's especially around the professional development. They're totally awesome, right? How do you guys, where does the GM overlap with your ensemble team around that piece, the ongoing teacher training? And honestly, assessment, performance reviews, knowing if that teacher is actually meeting or exceeding where you set the bar. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the general manager is the boots on the ground, right? They are our eyes and ears in the building. And they're, you know, they're the ones interacting with parents, gathering client feedback, observing, you know, trial lesson conversion, student retention, all that, all those data points, indicators we mm-hmm. use to assess how our teachers are performing. Um, and then relaying that back to, uh, you know, someone like Dana right. on our teacher development team, um, yeah. who you know well, um, and, you know, saying, hey, I have my teachers having a problem with, you know, with younger students, you know, taking too serious an approach, you know, how do I get them to have fun in their lesson with a six-year-old? Um, and, and that's where, you know, we have all kinds of resources where maybe we can pair them with a teacher that's really successful with that age group, or maybe we just don't assign them those students anymore. You know, like it, there's all sorts of, you know, pathways for that, but but it's it's the, 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 the hard part, although we've had a lot of success with it because we have really dedicated folks that care deeply about their schools and their communities is just getting the GM to have their eyes and ears out for that kind of thing in the way that is intuitive to an owner, right? If you built this community from the ground up, you are very in tune or attuned to those sorts of things. And we are trying to, you know, coach our general managers to be attuned to those same things. And then we're aiming to have all the resources they would need to deal with those common challenges as they come up. Uh, available to them, you're kind of standing by to jump in to support those types of situations. Yeah, what's very cool, it's this idea of noticing and then understanding what to notice 
when, where, who to notice. But what I loved you added here, yeah, I do know Dana. Dana's just, you know, total badass What is what she's doing in support of teachers. And she's supporting hundreds of these teachers. I love you pointed out that last piece, which I think is essential, whether you're in no matter what school you are, which is that open channel of communication between that GM or that head administrator and whoever's supporting the teachers or just the teachers at large. And it sounds like you guys have really nice channels. Like, I, I mean, Dana's always yeah. wide open to hearing. Um, and that that last piece, and maybe we'll circle back to it a little bit later in terms of how you how you really help coach that GM to a place of success. But it sounds like one of the really important parts is what do you look for? When do you look for it? Yeah. And how often do you need to look for it? Like maybe we'll, we'll circle back on that yeah. piece. Yeah. And look, one of the things I would say is if you have it, if you are an owner of a business and you are very present in your space, you take up a lot of, you take up a lot of emotional space totally. in your building. Right. Um, and you may subconsciously be training, you know, your staff not to look out for those yes. things because you're there and you're on top of it. Um, and I think we have consistently seen people that have, you know, were in front desk or, you know, sort of generic admin type roles blossom into outstanding general managers when you just removed the person over mm. them, right? As soon as it was clear that it was on them and that they were responsible for it, they were, it was intuitive to them as well, how to observe the problems, you know, raise issues, you know, resolve conflicts, but they were just never asked to do that before. And it was because, you know, the owner was still wearing the general manager hat. They weren't, they weren't asking for that to be, you know, to be passed on to somebody else. Yeah, brilliant. I did, but believe me, dude, I know that firsthand where it's like, I literally have to remind myself to not show up <laughs> to help empower and I think we talked about this before, Jeff, but like in the all staff that we just came from, it's a three-hour faculty meeting. And I very specifically say when we create the agenda, I want to ensure that Ben and myself don't talk more than 10% of the entire three hours. 5% would be the good cap on it. Um, so it speaks to your point of being sure that, yeah, the team as a whole actually knows that they can observe, resolve, and own issues. So, Okay. Uh, back to you, Daniel. What do you got next? I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Jeff, earlier you had said something really interesting that we might get into later. And that's actually talking about the person. The person who is doing all this for you. And I think we can go down a whole line of conversation with that. But even before I get there, I want to follow up on one thing you said just a minute ago. And that is uh, this idea that Ensemble provides shared services amongst your schools. And I don't know if this is necessarily a question. Maybe you could verify if this 
passes the smell test for you. But obviously, a school owner who's hearing this that doesn't have a shared services agreement amongst a bunch of other schools, um, they might wonder, well, should my general manager be covering some of those things? Should they be do mark? Should they be doing marketing or not? Mm. And in general, as I think about this, I think probably a good idea would be if something could be urgent in the school on any given day, that is probably something that the general manager should be covering so that the owner themselves can be more autonomous, leave that emotional space that you all are talking about. And if the skills that that person possesses overlap some of those areas, like marketing, maybe they're really good on social media and they can do that stuff. Sure, give them that job. But it feels to me like what you're saying is that at the core, and I think this does segue into what we're going to talk about next, at the core, this person does need to be there um, to handle the things that can't be handled if you don't want to have to come into the studio. And so what I would say is that for each school owner listening to this, if this is the kind of role you want to pursue, you probably need to sit down and do some really hard thinking about what those things would be. If you're on vacation 500 500 miles away or 5,000 miles away, and you don't want to be getting a call in the middle of your vacation, you need to think about all the things in your career that you've been called in for as an emergency, yeah. like the rock through the window, and and think, ah, oh, that's something else that they're going to have to be responsible for, and how do I prep them for that? Jeff, does that feel right to you? Is there anything you'd add to that or any other wisdom you'd give? Yeah, I mean, we don't have an expectation that my phone's not going to ring. I mean, we are you know, we are standing behind our journal managers 100% of the time. Um, you know, we talk to most of them every day. Um, so there's not an expectation that they're going to run it by themselves. Um, however, I think some, you know, some single studio owners do have that aspiration. I think that's, you know, I think the, the approach you described is what is what would make sense. Um, but yeah, what, what our intention is with shared services is to, to eliminate the specialized skills that are necessary and to make it so that someone who understands the music education, the journey of a student, you know, as they learn music, cares deeply about that journey being a positive one for the student and teacher and has basic administrative skills can be successful in the role. That's that's why our shared services team exists, is to, is to basically reduce scope of what is necessary to um you know things that are that are very common in the general population as opposed to you know marketing savvy you know professional caliber teaching skills you know these things that are specialized and highly compensated um you know we're trying to get we're trying to make it so that again someone who cares and is you know has has kind of an average level of proficiency at, you know, kind of general admin task can be a really successful general manager for us. Cool. So I think then that was the last kind of topic I wanted to talk about from the first uh, block of questions. And I, let's go more into the person now. I'm just going to ask a general question. Nate, I know you've got some follow-up questions, but maybe let's just the general question of what makes a great general manager? I think there's some things that have already been said that imply what that is, like even what you just said right there, those general admin tasks. But if there's anything you feel like you've left unsaid that, hey, I'm looking for this kind of person. Yeah. Look, I, I think ultimately, like some synonym of conscientiousness is what is what ultimately will carry the day, right? If you care and notice and are detailed um, the rest of it is easy. 
Um, and uh, it's not a hard thing to find someone who's going to be really caring about a community of, of students and teachers. Um, so we're fortunate in that way. It's not, it's not rare. Um, you know, it's not, it's not an exceptional, um, you know, our hit rate on general manager hires is very high, right? It's not like we've had to go through a bunch of different people to find good fits. We've been generally very successful. And the folks we found have kind of roughly come in from two buckets. One were teachers that were at the studio that were looking for daytime work and, or even just to transition from teaching to working more nine to five. They wanted, you know, they wanted more of a day job and they were happy to find one in music and in a community that they knew because they were already part of it as a teacher and where they were going to be credible coming in to lead it. You know, they were going to be well-respected by their peers out of the gate. Um, those have been really successful transitions for us. So you have, you know, strong, you have someone with a strong music skill, music skills, you have someone with who has, you know, connections to the community they're coming into. Um, and they're kind of, you know, they may or may not have, you know, administrative job ex- experience, but they can figure it out. Um, then we have kind of the opposite profile. We have, you know, folks that are sort of amateur hobby musicians that, you know, are kind of career administrators have worked, you know, customer service and office jobs, have good skills, really love the fact that they're going to be coming into a music environment and value that and want to work hard, you know, to make sure that that's successful, um, but are not, you know, they're not professional caliber uh, players or teachers. And um, both of those profiles have been, you know, equally successful for us. And again, I think that the main thing it comes down to is, do you care, you know, are you detail oriented? Are you, you know, kind of thoughtful and creative about uh, how best to lead this community? And the rest of it, you know, we feel that like we can figure out together. Mm. Nate, thoughts? I love, yeah, I just love the addition of the detail oriented because Jeff, it raises a very personal, that's a little personal pain point. So I'm just going to bring myself into the conversation, which is I don't believe that I may, I would make a good GM. Because I mostly am heavy on the care part, right? With some fairly basic admin skills and not very detail-oriented. How often do you find yourself walking into a school that you've newly acquired and realizing, man, this is this is going to run a lot better now that the owner is no longer trying to hold on to that GM role? It happens more than you'd expect, I think. There's often, and and I have some thoughts about that. You know, like what to do, what to do about that. Um, but the first couple of weeks after there's an acquisition, after you get through kind of the you know the early transition and the nervousness and people realizing that hey, this is going to be okay, right? You know, um, you know, I'm still my, you know this community is still going to be what it was before. It's still going to be really fun. Once you get past that, the ideas start to flow. People start to come forward and say, "What if we did this?" and I think that one of the one of the reasons why that's suppressed beforehand is that is that owners are in the habit of saying no to stuff, mm. right? No budget, no time, I don't want to, I don't agree. And you just stifle a lot of this creativity that's coming from inside your community. And I think even, you know, one of the things that we try to do as a as a way of empowering our general manager, we just say yes to stuff, you know. Is the is the budget reasonable? You know, are you excited about this? Okay, do it. You know, no problem. And you know, it doesn't matter if it works. It doesn't work. It it trains people that their ideas are you know seen and heard. That will support yes. them. That we want to hear more from them about what to do. 
And, um, you know, some of them are going to be great ideas. Some of them are going to be average ideas. And, you know, we can, one of our kind of fun successes is we can share the good ones across our schools, right? We can say, hey, did you know that so-and-so just did this? It was really successful. Maybe it works in your community. And 10 of them will go try it, right? And, and so the good ones kind of spread, the bad ones kind of die out. But, but just saying yes to stuff um, and being willing to spend $500 on something your admin wants to do because they want to do it um, can go a long way to creating that culture. That, and that's been my experience is that by, you know, removing the GM creates this, this sort of this flow of this, this, this flood of creativity and new ideas that, that frankly have, have been suppressed. You know, they've been, it's not like the ideas weren't there before, but there was no sponsor yeah. for them. And I think that, you know, as owners, we can do a better job of just, you know, empowering our staff to say, you know, if you, if you think this is a good thing for our community and this is something that we can, you know, that, that's, that's reasonable, uh, let's do it, you know, go for it. And let's yeah. It it's such a good point. Cause I, I I've gone back and looked at chapters of Brooklyn Music Factories and looked at choices that were made uh, by me or the leadership team and how often budget was the thing that made me uh, respond with a quick no. Um, and it might have been a game changer of an idea, yet I was like, well, right now, I just know because I'm nervous about this line item in the budget or something like that. Um, so I love that addition of either, you know, we're saying no because of budget, we're saying no because of time as a resource. Um, and as owners, uh, yeah, it's so wise because even, I mean, I know I'm talking about this all step, but coming out of it, there's some techniques that we've used at BMF to try to make sure that people are talking more and sharing ideas more. And some of the simplest techniques we pivoted on is don't ask them in the all staff to speak out live open up the Slack channel. We've dedicated Slack channels to specific topics. And then we're just like, everybody take three minutes and write one idea in there on this. And then now everybody, I want you to go read all the ideas and plus one, add an emoji to one idea that you like that's not your own. And these little tiny little tactical changes actually create that what you're talking about. It's just like opens the gates. And now all of a sudden you're sitting there as a as an owner looking at you know, 38 new ideas over the course of a 30-minute meeting that went into Slack. And and you're like, huh, wow, in the hallway, I barely get one or two ideas, if ever. You know, so uh, it's a great addition. You know, Jeff, is there anything else you'd want to add in terms of, of essential qualities? Because I think you've really hit this notion of caring and conscientiousness. And then, of course, you added got to be detail-oriented. Maybe you could give us a quick example for our listeners so that we don't use such general terms for them. What is the type of detail that you require of your GMs? Like you need to know that you can look at this consistently every time to be convinced that they're detail-oriented. Can you give us like one or two or three examples? Yes. Scheduling, communication, and billing accuracy, right? Eliminate 99% of your conflict with parents, right? Do your parents understand the policies? Do they understand where they're supposed to come in for lessons and what happens if they don't? Do they understand their bill, right? Um, and again, like maybe that's not the GM directly talking to every parent, but hey, are you are you helping your admins, you know, communicate this consistently? And are you avoid are you helping them be you know be successful in communicating these things and making sure that we you know that we proactively avoid conflict and, and challenges? But yeah, detail orientation is like at the end of the day, you know, we are a, an appointment, you know. In some ways, 
this is only directionally true, but in some ways we are a matchmaking service between students mm -hmm. and teachers, right? And our job is to make sure that both parties get in the room when, you know, when agreed on and have a fantastic experience because they're the right match for each other. And so that, make, that means we got to communicate with both parties. We got to make sure that they're billed and paid appropriately, that the scheduling is done correctly, that everyone understands what's going on. And, you know, that's the deal, detail orientation of, of the customer service process and to a lesser, to a lesser extent, the teacher management, you know, set of, set of tasks. So, so my uh, book, uh, we have a newish bookkeeper as of the last couple of years. And one of the things I really appreciated about Leah is that she's introduced these sort of industry standards, not to necessarily music schools, but she's just saying within accounting, here's, here's what you really need to be focused on, Nate, within bookkeeping. And one of them was around forecasting. And she said, Nate, here's the deal. You guys have been doing it for over a dozen years. At this stage of the game, in terms of forecasting, whether it's revenue, buy classes, buy private lesson instruments, or it's expenses, you need to be within a 10% margin of accuracy every time. It should be 10% or less. A dozen years into it, if you find yourself 15% off on a forecast, then that's really, truly a red flag. There's no, there's actually really no excuse for you to be less than, you know, within that, anything off that. So I'm curious for your GM metrics, what's a red flag when you're like, you can talk about it within billing, you can talk about it within scheduling, but clearly you're looking at some kind of dashboard that's, that where the buck stops with the GM, regardless of an admin's doing it. What is your margin for success? And what's, you know, when, what's the line that they cross where you say, oh, hold on a second we need to go in there and give more support to this GM because that school needs some help. Yeah, I mean, our, our frontline KPIs are real-time ads and drops, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're getting ads and drops from our schools on a daily basis, and we should be able to see really quickly if there's a problem, both seasonally, you know, we're not expecting, you know, magic headed into the summertime right. or other things like that. But, you know, on a seasonal basis, how are we performing and, you know, kind of what's the recent trend? And so ultimately community growth is, you know, is, is something we talk about with our general managers. And it's there's so many things that go into that. Right. Student retention is key to that. What's key to student retention? Teacher retention. How are we retaining teachers? Well, that's a You know, there's a lot. You know, we're all involved yeah. in that. And, um, you know, good student teacher fit, you know, clear communication of billing practices, like all these things go into it. But. But ultimately, you know, the measurement point is who signed up, who withdrew, and you know, kind of how is our how, how is our enrolled student count trending? We we think kind of second order, you know, metrics that help us are, you know, what's our sellout rate? Nate, I think you're you're really strong in thinking about your inventory at BMF. Um, I love the way you think about your business that way. You know, we're trying to get our GMs to think about, you know. How many days of the week do we have a teacher in this room? And are they, you know, if the room is, if, the, if there's no student there, is it because there's no teacher there? Is right. this a hiring problem? Do we need to recruit for this? Or is it a marketing problem? And do we need to market for this? You know, and so you know, helping to differentiate where the support is needed, whether it's it's recruitment or hiring, you know, to, to continue to grow that school community, um, you know, is, is another, you know, is another big one. Um we so so this is this is also some helpful clarification on the role. We at Ensemble are in charge of setting pricing. We are ultimately in charge of approving pay rates. So our GMs are not responsible for things like what's my margin or you know like the sort of but but they are responsible for um, 
for you know helping the community to grow and to retain the students that we that we already have and make sure that they're that they're satisfied. And so what we tell our our GMs is, you know, look, this is what exists today. Here's how many students we have, here's how much revenue, here's how much teacher pay, here's what our rent is. These expenses are known, right? And we're not going to get anywhere by cutting costs or, you know, you know, within reason, right? right? We're not going to we're not going to find $10,000 of expenses that we didn't need to spend. And so the way we're going to have success together is to grow the student community. And we worked, and this is getting into, again, you know, our future topic about uh, about compensation, but we're giving our general managers a mm. profit share. So we're telling them, you know, as the profitability of the school is growing, so will your direct take home. And, you know, here's how you participate in that. Yeah, it's fascinating because when you talk about students coming and going, um, it really circles back to that number one. I'd say just based on the language you use, Jeff, is like caring is very closely related, is very is measured by noticing, right? And so I'm guessing in some of these like weekly calls or daily calls with GMs, when there's a red flag around retention or like you see you see a, a movement that a trend that you're like, wait, hold on. Probably the next question is tell me stories. And whether or not that GM can tell yeah. stories about real students that are in the space and parents is probably a, a an indicator of whether or not they're noticing, right? Yeah, yeah, and almost always, I mean, the answers we're getting are, hey, you know, we had a teacher that moved away, and you know, we didn't get someone else in there in time, and the transition, yeah. you know, like it's it's all these common problems, right? I mean, go you know, go back and listen to the you know episodes one through fifteen, you know, about all these kind of common yeah. common pitfalls in in music school ownership. But you know, we, we make all the same mistakes. Don't don't think don't think we're any better about it. But um, we're working on uh, it. Yeah, so it's. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're right, um, and so, but there, there, yeah, there's there's an expectation that that you sh- I should be able to say, hey, what's going on? I mean, I, I wrote an email the other day to, um, you know, to one of our general managers. I said, hey, I noticed we sent two thousand dollars of refunds today. Right. You know, what's going on? And, and let me know, right? You know, we had a we had a problem with the teacher, and you know, the the way to make it right was to you know was to credit some students, and we did it. Um, and and. You know, he made that call and I, you know, I, I agreed with him, but, um, you know, I asked the question and we got the answer. And so, yeah, we, we, that's often how it yeah. works. Okay. Um, Jeff, you're, so you raised the capacity issue, which I think is spot on. As you know, I'm, I'm big on inventory capacity, knowing where you're going to be in three years with any one of your schools and knowing, um, how to get there, of course, is a teacher question in addition to just the physical brick and mortar. And then if you've got an online aspiration goal, you know, if you're aspire to do online, then, well, that's another conversation around it. Um, and it feels to me like you, you, you're circling around this, uh, but that last $2,000 refund story is a beautiful one, which is that the teacher truly matters when it comes to that key KPI. We know that, Right. And yet, as school owners, we oftentimes feel like we're sort of at the mercy of teachers, right? We feel like the teacher somehow is running the show because what happens if that teacher chooses to leave? Uh, Are they going to take the students? We always know that we've we've heard that a million times. But I'm curious, like in your efforts with um, developing great GMs, have you found um, 
have you found some solutions around that, around building culture with teachers where you can quickly assess whether a teacher's the right long-term fit or not, and then how to support those teachers uh, more consistently so that you have fewer $2,000 surprises? We're working on it. I mean, I think I don't want to get too hypothetical or into the anecdata right. world, um, but but I think post pandemic, the world of of the 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 universe of music teachers is is fairly different than it was pre pandemic. Um, in terms of the the quote unquote old model of you know you gig on the weekends, you teach a couple days a week, maybe you have a you know kind of a day gig here or there, and that's your life as a musician is significantly less appealing to folks i think mm. today because you know gigs went away for a period of time and people had to figure out other ways of making money and in some places they're not they're not back to where they were and so i think that old model of the 15 hour a week teacher who is very stable in that in that role and works just fine i think we've had a lot of challenges with that and i think we have tried increasingly to appeal to folks who identify as teachers for whom that is their prime and not just as musicians who happen to teach from time to time. So we're trying in our recruiting and in everything we do to be more attractive to, you know, folks who, for whom teaching is their primary thing, um, you know, ranging from hiring folks on a full-time basis, you know, yeah. which I know that you're, you're, you're knowledgeable about a BMF um, in places where that works to, you know, offering this national community of teachers as a peer group, you know, where we have, connected all of our all of our teachers across the country on a kind of closed um, kind of social media platform where they can ask questions we're having a great conversation today about hand technique and how to teach mm, proper hand technique it. to you know to young students um, and uh, for you know, young piano students uh, you know trying to get that, that curvature uh, which is so challenging for me in particular I play with a very flat hand um, but uh, you know so we're, ha we're having fun conversations on there we're having teachers that are leading seminars, that are attending seminars, uh, that are taught by peers on topics that are of interest to them, ranging from child psychology to, you know, music right. score. Um, and Dana, who, you know, is getting a lot of credit throughout this platform, uh, throughout this program, you know, very deservedly, you know, is really is really in charge of that. So you should have her on next. Next, next conversation you have with Dana. On. Um, 100% but, uh, but yeah, so, so look, we're, we're trying to do everything from, you know, from, from professional development and, and career opportunities down through, you know, full-time pay and benefits mm. for teachers. And, you know, I know we've talked a lot about um, on the, you know, on the, on the other episodes of the podcast about, you know, contractors versus W-2s, you know, we're strong believers that benefits are retention tools and that by offering, you know, the, the W-2 is a, is a, is a clear, clear winner. Um, and, you know, we're offering health benefits to teachers starting at 30 hours and trying to figure out how to go even lower than that to be more attractive to folks. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so so you know we're trying to push in every avenue, but I'm I'm not here to tell you that we have it figured out and that we have you know we got the special sauce and we're we're hiding. I mean, it's hard for us. There's parts of the country right now that are really difficult for us to find mm -hmm. teachers. We're having to become you know to be thoughtful about being as competitive as possible, and um, you know slowly but surely we you know we've had success and you know there's there's nowhere where I would say we're you know desperate um we're just you know always in need of great staff and trying to figure out how to attract and retain the best faculty jeff if you were to share a few geographical regions where you were uh like on the verge of desperate we might have some listeners that are like hey i'm moving 
I'm ready to take, I'm ready to take a full time yeah. gig. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, the Bay Area. <laughs> the uh, Bay Area. Any funny one? But seriously, I mean, high cost yeah. areas. I mean, I, I think one of our challenges as a business is charging our students enough and being assertive about that that we can afford to pay our teachers to live where we're asking them to live. And, and you know, that's changed a lot, especially as inflation in some of these specific areas has been much higher than the national average. And, you know, I care a lot about accessibility of music education and we try to do things like scholarship programs for kids that really are deserving and want to get in there. But if push comes to shove, I'd rather be supportive of our teachers. I'd rather make sure that all of our teachers can live comfortably where they want to live. And we just need to charge our students enough yeah. for that to be the case and to not apologize for that. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.